What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Collegeology Podcast, the podcast where college meets science. I'm your host, Bondi Johnson, and today we're going to talk alcohol, a topic near and dear to the hearts of so many college students. Now, a few quick things before we get into it. A new episode of Collegeology will be produced every Monday evening, so be sure to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed. Also, follow me on Facebook and Twitter at The Collegeology Podcast for information on topics, and all the links, including links to the available studies, will be in the show notes. Now, I record these intros either before or after the show. I just want to take a second to say thank you again to Dr. Frederick. He was awesome, came on and absolutely killed it. He is great at what he does, but I think he missed his true calling, which is podcasting. Literally came on and killed it. So again, Dr. Dr. Frederick, thank you so much. Uh, it was a blast. We're definitely going to have to do it again. So with that being said, let's get into it. You're listening to the Collegeology Podcast, where college meets science. Uh, is this going to be on the exam? It's no secret college kids love their alcohol. We'll find any excuse to drink, and if we don't have one, we drink anyway. Parties, darties, athletic events, nights in, nights out, any time is an opportunity to drink. We know the fun doesn't last forever. Most college kids would agree that they know what it feels like to get hit by a train. Today I have on Dr. James H. Frederick to discuss what alcohol is, what the effects of alcohol are, and how they can best be avoided, if at all, when drinking. Hello, Dr. Frederick, and thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and you can call me Jim. Jim, awesome. Will you go ahead and give us a quick background of who you are, what you do? And... Sure. I'm a professor here at FSU in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, and I specialize in organic chemistry and specifically organic synthesis. So you can think of uh, myself and my group as molecule builders. Um, we're kind of like architects of small molecules that do things that are interesting. And to sort of borrow... Uh, somebody else's words here, but, you know, we make interesting uh, molecules and figure out what their interesting properties are and then Dang. try to utilize those. <laughs> and so that's what we do here at FSU. In terms of background, um, I did my undergraduate at the University of Oregon, which, much like Florida State University, is a large state school that has a pretty large undergraduate population. Um, so I was once in a former life a college kid who experimented um, with alcohol. <laughs> I don't think I ever really stopped. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is uh, this falls right into uh, my wheelhouse, sort of, in terms of both scientific and social interest. After four years at University of Oregon, I went to Southern California and did a PhD um, at UC Irvine, which is one of the more obscure UC schools, but one of the top ones for chemi- uh, organic synthesis, so molecular architecture. <laughs> molecular architecture. And then I, uh, I left there after five years. Um, with my PhD and did a postdoc at UCLA for two years where I worked on making some anti-cancer molecules, which was really cool and, and really stimulated my interest in making molecules that treat human disease. And then I started here in 2014, and, and so where I would probably interact with undergraduates most likely is in my undergraduate course, where I'll teach you all about uh, basic organic chemistry and uh, exactly what an alcohol is, which I'm sure we'll define <laughs> what shortly. alcohol is. Yes. You probably all already know what alcohol is, but what an alcohol is is a different uh, topic altogether. I love how casually you're just, you know, we build <laughs> molecules. So molecular architecture, that's something that most people probably can't even wrap their head around. So impressive to say the least, but also very cool and perfect for what we're going to talk about today, which, like you mentioned, is alcohol. 
And a lot of people, we're no strangers to alcohol, college kids, okay? It's very, very uh, popular amongst them. But I feel like if you ask them what alcohol is, you'd be like, oh, you know, alcohol, it's, well, you got vodka, you got whiskey, you got rum, it's all the different types of alcohol. But uh, from a chemical level, what is alcohol? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So if you come and take my organic chemistry course, you'll learn all about the nomenclature of organic molecules. And one of the functional groups in organic molecules is alcohol, um, of which there are quite a variety of alcohols. And so what makes up an alcohol is having a functional group called the hydroxyl group or OH group. And so you can think about the molecular structure of water, H2O, and you replace one of those H's with some sort of carbon chain. That would be an alcohol. Um, There's literally probably millions of different types of alcohols uh, that can be made. There's many that exist naturally. Um, and the one that we're interested in in terms of its pharmacology and drinking and socially is ethanol. <laughs> and ethanol or ethyl alcohol, um, the name of that just comes from the fact that it's a OH group connected to an ethane molecule. And so we call that molecule ethanol based on IUPAC nomenclature. So this all kind of comes down to us organic chemists. I shouldn't say me, a bunch of old white hairs sitting around 100 years ago who <laughs> figured out how we're going to systematically name everything <laughs> yeah. so that we can keep uh, pre-med students out of med school. Yeah. Right. But that's how I that's how I earn my salary. I know these little secrets and I'll teach them to you for a little low cost of like uh, $500 a credit low, hour. Low yeah. Cost. <laughs> so so why ethanol? I mean, like you said, there's millions of these alcohols. Mm-hmm. Why can't I just go get some like isopropyl alcohol from underneath my cabinet and, and drink it? You absolutely can. Oh. Um, it won't be it won't go very well for you. Um, because those compounds don't react with the same receptors in the brain the same way. And so probably over the history of time, humans just sort of figured out they could ferment things from grains and vegetables that they had around. And it turns out what they fermented was ethanol. And that was sort of happenstance. And they probably found if they drank the sludge that came from that, they got a funny feeling. (laughs) And it wasn't until much later on that we probably figured out the molecular structure of what we were drinking and how it worked. But it turns out ethanol is special. You can drink uh, methanol, you'll go blind because it gets oxidized <laughs> to um, formaldehyde in your body, and so that's super toxic. So that's why we don't drink that. Yeah. You can drink isopropanol, which is your fingernail polish remover. It won't get you drunk or give you any of the sedatory feelings of uh, alcohol, but it probably like do something unpleasant. Um, <laughs> I'm quite sure it's just a general poison. It doesn't get cleared right. from the body the same way. Um, so the point of why ethanol is because that's the one that gives us the good feelings in our brain. Um, and contributes to all the the positive effects of alcohol and and the negative ones too. Um, But if you'd like to see a a real hangover, go drink a bottle of fingernail polish remover. That'll do it. That will be a different kind of hangover. (laughs) Yeah, a whole new level. So we start drinking ethanol and... What what exactly does it start doing? I mean, we, it's it's not too long that you'll start to feel. It depends on a number of things. But what does it start doing once it enters our body? Sure. I mean, that's there's a really good way to break down that um, that subject material. And I think the best way to go about it is just kind of define what ethanol is in general. Mm-hmm. From a pharmacology standpoint, ethanol is a drug. It's a toxin. It's not any different than aspirin or anything else and just like any other drug in pharmacology it's subject to uh, metabolism right so when you drink alcohol um, the things that control how you feel and the effects that you have are simply circulating concentration in your blood and the time it takes to metabolize that and that's an ongoing back and forth as soon as it gets into your body you drink alcohol it goes to your stomach 
Right. And about 60% of it's absorbed directly from your stomach into your bloodstream. Okay. And then it passes in your small intestine where almost all the rest of it is absorbed. So it's a molecule that's very quickly absorbed into the bloodstream. Right. Only about 1% to 2% of alcohol actually gets excreted directly via urine. So your body okay. absorbs quite a lot of what you drink. And that's kind of unique. Um, there's a lot of other drugs that you take that don't have that kind of absorption level. So it very quickly gets in your system. And then once it starts circulating in your br- blood, it finds its way to your brain. And that's where mm, the immediate acute effects happen. Right. And then over time, um, the metabolism of alcohol contributes considerably to undesired side effects, hangovers, and things of those lines. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to know that alcohol comes from fermentation, and it's always a solution in water. Okay. Right? So any alcohol you get or drink anywhere was fermented and distilled somehow. You know, for beer, that's the, you know distillation process for right. spirits it's a higher concentration of alcohol but alcohol that we drink anyway it always comes as a solution in water as a percentage in water and so we often see these on like beer cans and stuff as in the right. percentage of alcohol so i just wrote down a few here um this is tightly connected to proof which is kind of the old way not the actual establishment the proof of an alcohol <laughs> um this is is tightly connected to the percentage of actual ethanol in water um, so for Coors Light, which we don't usually use proof to discuss, it has about 4.2% alcohol by volume, which okay. means in one 12-ounce can of Coors Light, you have roughly a half an ounce of alcohol. Oh. The actual okay. alcohol, the, the business end of that drink that does anything to your body. The rest of it's water and things that taste like Coors Light, which <laughs> there's not much to it. It's probably mostly no. water, right? Um, if you move up into the IPAs and stuff, they have different flavors because they're distilled with different ingredients, and the alcohol content goes up a little bit. So if you look up, for example, the Establishment Proofs uh, kind of headline beer, 850, it's got 6.5% mm-hmm. alcohol. So it has a little bit more in it than one, 12 ounces of that has proportionally a little bit more of it alcohol in there than uh, Coors Light. If we go up to wines, wines are sneaky. Watch <laughs> out for wines. Wines have a lot <laughs> higher alcohol content than beer generally. It's called the wine right. drunk. That's right. And so wines are usually on the order of 11 to 15% alcohol. And so one glass of wine is a little bit more than maybe we appreciate in terms of drinking. And having had a few good nights with just wine, I can tell you, um, it can sneak up on you. And then there's your hard liquor, you know, your vodkas and your, you know, gin and things along these lines. And most of these are 80 proof, which is about 40% by volume alcohol. Now there's certainly Everclear, which is much higher and closer to pure distilled alcohol. Um, it has no flavor really because it's just mostly alcohol and water. It has a flavor of like lighter fluid. That's what actual <laughs> alcohol tastes like. Um, you know, there's different whiskeys and things along these lines. So much of the flavor of what you drink comes from what else is in it, but the effects that you get come from the molecule ethanol. And it doesn't really matter if that's in a can of Coors Light or in like a wine or a nice distilled um, spirit of some kind. It's the same active ingredient that does the important stuff in different concentrations. And so really what you lose track of when you drink is really what is the like input concentration of alcohol because right, different beers right. have different percentages and you're having different types of drinks and you're not really quite sure like, you know, if you go to the bar, I, I don't know what bars college kids go to here. I think I tried that once when I first moved here. Yeah, no. What's like a bar you go to? Uh, Clyde's. Well, I, see, <laughs> on a I don't Monday. even know what that is, sadly. This is what happens when you it have depends kids. Depends on the day. You yeah, know, you got right. Clyde's on Monday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hang out in a different part of town. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they don't pour you like a perfect 12-ounce drink, so you don't really know quite how much you're having. You can count your numbers of drinks, but, you know, keep in mind that uh, one 
glass of a mixed drink isn't quite the same as one glass of wine, isn't quite the same as one beer. So you're kind of just guessing. Right. <laughs> right. And that's not even taking into uh, account the variations between different types of liquor that you're using. Right. So it's really easy to lose track, even counting, you know, a drink as a one-to-one um, how much you've actually had, which is a problem I'm sure I struggled with quite a bit in college and still do sometimes as an adult. Right. So you can do easy math to kind of convince yourself that if you take one shot of 80 proof alcohol, that's about an ounce of a half of alcohol. It's about 0.6 ounces of ethanol. One Coors Light is about half an ounce of ethanol. So, you know, one can of beer is roughly one shot kind of. And so that's where this one to one thing comes from in terms of concentration. Um, uh, it's loose math. At the best. Right? Loose, loose, loose math, math at the best. Yes. And, you know, if you're shotgunning things, that's different than if you're sipping them over an hour. And so it's all all very different. Right. Um, so <clears throat> you, you, you kind of touched on a number of things that we are going to address further. But I want to start with drunk. So we start drinking and mm-hmm. we actually get drunk. So mm-hmm. alcohol has been broken down. Right? You said absorbed mostly in our stomach, passes into the small intestine. Mm-hmm. So what's actually making it to our brain? Is it the alcohol or is it something else? No, the ethanol crosses the blood-brain barrier easily. It's a low molecular weight, water-soluble compound. It goes right, circulates through all the blood in your body. And that's not true of all drugs. Many drugs can't get in your brain. Right? The blood-brain barrier is a major issue we deal with in pharmacology. Sometimes you don't want drugs to go into the brain because there's side effects. Right. Um, with the case of alcohol, you can't prevent it, so it diffuses rapidly into the brain. And when it goes into the brain, it does a lot of things. It's not straightforward. <laughs> the, the point I want to hand over harm is twofold. One, I am not um, an expert in the pharmacology of alcohol. I just am uh, well-trained enough to teach myself a little bit. Um, and two, I have practical experience, but I don't know everything about neurochemistry, but the take home point is it's complex. It is complex. We call this in pharmacology, pelotropic actions, which is to say the effects of alcohol in the brain are extensive and nonspecific with multiple unrelated targets. But there is one main target that people discuss, and that's usually the GABA receptor system. Right. And so there's two factors that lead to the positive and also negative effects of alcohol. The first factor is the acute effects on the brain. When it circulates to your brain, what does it do? Uh, That's complicated, but there are some major hallmarks. And then the second part is metabolism. What is made from it as it's metabolized in your body, and how do those contribute to what you're feeling and how you feel later? And so we kind of discuss those things separately, but one has to appreciate the fact that both the acute effects on the brain and the metabolism sort of work together to give you the whole picture of what it's like when you're drunk and when you're hungover. Both areas contribute to both of those effects, in my my estimation, right? And so brain chemistry depends on time. So at the early stages when you drink ethanol, it finds its way to your brain. And you have to get kind of a, you know, by a pharmacology standpoint, a lot um, of ethanol in there to get an effect, right? Right. And so many drugs work in the picomolar to nanomolar range in your brain. You have to get up to the millimolar, like three millimolar range, um, to get any sort of feelings or activity in brain from alcohol, which means you got to drink compared to other drugs right. a bit. Now, yeah. practically okay. speaking, you know, the volume you're drinking is, is like a beer or two, you'll start feeling effects, but relative to, you know, the molecular weight of that compound's concentration, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to get an effect. And that's why it's really hard to study this thing. But at the end of the day, ethanol impacts neurotransmission and neurotransmitters. And the main one is this, um, receptor, a GABA receptor. There's two different types of GABA receptors in your brain. Um, and the sensitivity of these receptors to alcohol directly or ethanol 
is kind of hotly debated. You can look in the primary literature, and I did in preparation for this talk about what's going on there, and there's kind of like a rolling debate over the last 40 or 50 years about exactly what does alcohol itself do in the brain. Wow. What there seems to be consensus on is that it involves in some way GABA receptors. So GABA receptors are G-protein coupled receptors is what we call those. Okay. And yep. so they're on the outside of the cell. Right. And they receive an extracellular signal, mm -hmm. and then they release on the inside of the Second cell a G-protein, which goes through and signals all the stuff the cell needs to do. Right. So basically, this is the way your cells are able to integrate and interpret extracellular signals to do something inside the cell. And so there's a whole bunch of GPCRs, G-protein-coupled receptors, which GABA is one of them. GABA is controlled by gamma aminobutyric acid, which is a neurotransmitter that tells your neurons to fire. Right. And so what right. happens at the early stages of drinking alcohol is you get an uptick in dopamine. And there's a lot of different thoughts on maybe where that comes from, but it increases the concentration of dopamine in your brain, which is the pleasure reward center. So when you right. first start drinking alcohol, it functions as a stimulant and you get this feeling of euphoria and that's dopamine being produced and also dopamine shutting down the GABA receptors, which are kind of balance right. that system. Right. So initially you get this feeling of euphoria and everything feels great. And that's the probably the good part of being drunk yeah. that we associate with. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you have to keep in mind that immediately once alcohol is in your blood, so probably even before it gets to your brain, it's already circulating through your liver and being metabolized. Right. Right. So other things are being formed. Um, and at the same time, you know, as levels of dopamine start to dissipate, the GABA receptor compensates by making more of the neurotransmitter and it starts to activate itself. And so as a compensatory me mechanism, you start to get the uh, other end of GABA activation. Gotcha. And that's what's associated with um, the depressive uh, factors of alcohol. So gotcha. it's, it's okay. action as a sedative starts to kick right. in over time as a response to the fact that you just had a big upshot yeah. of, of dopamine. And that leads to some of the familiar things like feeling sleepy and slurred yeah. speech and loss of motor The regrets, control. the loss of... <laughs> yeah, that comes a little bit later. But yeah, so you, you know, at, at, the, at, at early times you get this loss of inhibition you get the feelings of euphoria, the psychotropic effect that is actually the basis of a lot of different psychotropic drugs. Um, but over time, that's compensated for pretty rapidly, and you start right. to get some of the depressive sedative effects too. And so somewhere in the middle of your long night of drinking, you're still drinking, but you're getting the depressive effects, so you're kind of mixing these two. Right. So you have all the benefits of you know euphoria and, and all this with all the downside of the sleepiness Gosh, and the slurred, right. slurred speech. And I think these feelings together at a certain concentration for different people are what we would call drunk. Gotcha. Right. You can't talk okay. very well, you can't walk very well, but you feel pretty good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there starts to be impacts on memory and learning, and you know, yeah. that's all tied to the fact that you know, the sedative effects of alcohol are kicking in. Right, okay. And, and speaking of memory, what, what they like to refer to in the literature is alcohol-induced memory impairments, mm -hmm. more formally referred to as blackouts. Mm -hmm. We obviously get to a point where you wake up the next morning and you go, what the hell happened? Now, what, what is, is happening there to, to cause this, this sort of amnesia? Yeah, I mean, I think um, this has been pretty deeply studied. I think at the end of the day, um, the sort of issue of concentration of ethanol and the byproducts that are produced by metabolism and screwing with your brain chemistry by cycling sort of uh, dopamine pleasure response and then sedative effects impacts your ability to form short-term memories. 
and as a person who's probably experienced this once or twice in my life, it comes in many different forms, right? You can have fragmented inability right. to the make memories house. where you kind of forget parts of things and you're like, I can't believe I did that, but I don't remember, <laughs> so maybe it doesn't count. Um, and then like, you know, full on like losing a whole evening. And that's all largely based on the brain chemistry and the compensation of your brain at the biochemical level for the toxin that you're putting in it. Okay. And so that's going to be concentration dependent, that's going to be time dependent, and that's going to be dependent on an individual person's ability to metabolize right. alcohol, which I think is a really, really important part of this. The other issue is that um, overstimulation, the GABA receptor, causes this long-term withdrawal symptom, right? right. And so... If you drink a lot and you drink often, you know, you're more prone to this um, sort of backlash from overactivating your pleasure response. And this leads to addiction to a certain point in a certain subpopulation of people. Um, it also leads to uh, what we used to call in college the booze blues. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think you, ha your brain, you have to remember that after a night of drinking, as your body tries to get back to normal, your brain chemistry is all messed up. Right. And so you get these feelings of depression, which are probably exacerbated socially by dumb things you regret that you did. Yeah. And those two things tend to work together to make you feel bad. But, you know, um, some of that is your actions and how you feel about them. <laughs> and some of that is your brain chemistry being all out of whack. You got to right. give yourself some time to regulate. So it's really easy when you're hungover after a long night of drinking to jump to conclusions about things and feel a certain way. And not really, you know, feel that way a few days later once your brain chemistry gets back to normal. Right. So um, a good piece of advice is pump the brakes on making any uh, big life decisions after <laughs> a long night of drinking. Go ahead and give yourself like 24 to 48 hours to get back to your pump regular resting mental state. Yes. <laughs> Sound, sound advice. Don't don't break up with your girlfriend because you like you know you're hungover. Don't do yeah. it. Just give it a day or two and then maybe reassess. Exactly. It might it might be it might be reasonable, but yeah. right, we'll right. you never know. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier, alcohol is a poison. Obviously, that's well established now to the body. At what point does it become a true poison as to where we would call it alcohol poisoning? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think alcohol poisoning gets a bad rap because you would. Um, probably assume that what's causing the poisoning is actual ethanol. And it's my understanding that while that may contribute to it, that's not the main thing that causes poisoning. It's the metabolites of alcohol. So let's talk a little bit about how alcohol is metabolized. Yeah. Okay. So as soon as you drink alcohol, your body identifies it as a toxin. Right. right? And so your body has a really great way. It's, a, it's an evolved thing because, you know, back before we knew what we could eat and drink, we'd just go eat and drink whatever. Yeah. Right? Early <laughs> human just ate what he saw, and if it didn't agree with him, it was the liver's problem to get that out of there. Right. Right? So the liver's really good at filtering your blood and taking things out of it via oxidation, largely. You take something that's polar or nonpolar, and you oxidize it so that it's water-soluble, and then you pee it out. That's what the liver's trying to do to everything. It doesn't care what it is. It doesn't know. It does this to all kinds of drugs that we take. It does the same thing to alcohol. It knows it's not supposed to be there, so it starts oxidizing. Right. And so there's a couple enzymes in your liver that's the primary place where this happens that take care of uh, alcohol. It basically filters it out of the blood. And so the first main and most important enzyme is alcohol dehydrogenase. Right. And so this is the enzyme that takes alcohol and oxidizes it to acetaldehyde. And so if you just look at the molecular formula, formula of ethanol, it's C2H3. 
6-0, and you could draw that structure. And again, if you come to my class, you could probably figure out how to draw it. <laughs> Shameless pitch, right? Um, and that gets a, uh, oxidized to acid aldehyde, so C2H4O. So two hydrogens are removed. Essentially, a molecule of hydrogen gas is removed, not directly, indirectly by enzymes, by this particular enzyme. And acid aldehyde is a general toxin. It damages DNA cells. It damages things. It makes you sick. It smells a certain way. If you ever went into my lab and smelled concentrated acid aldehyde, you'd say it smells like a really bad hangover. And so what happens is as you start drinking alcohol, your liver starts turning this thing over to acid aldehyde. And that itself has its own biochemistry, but is generally toxic and an irritant. And so that's circulating in your blood. There's okay. some negative effects to that, right? Of course. <laughs> and there's two types of alcohol dehydrogenase. We call it constitutive and inducible. So there's a constitutive form, which is to say it's always there in your liver at a present concentration. It's ready to go. And then there's inducible um, acid al or alcohol dehydrogenase. And so if you drink a lot or you drink for a long period of time, mm -hmm. your body starts to actually go, wow, the concentration, we can't keep up with the concentration, so we're going to produce more of this inducible gotcha. enzyme to break this stuff down. Okay. And so that leads a little bit to um, this inducible form of alcohol dehydrogenase. Adds a little bit to this t idea of tolerance. If you drink a lot, your body's overexpressing the thing that breaks down alcohol. So in any given unit time, your body can break down more of the psychoactive drug um, than somebody who doesn't drink a lot. Right. That's not the only thing. Uh, you also become desensitized to the effects if you drink a lot. Your body mass has something to do with it. A lot of it has to do with absorption. So one of the reason, one of the reasons um, you know women are thought to get drunk faster than men is because they have a higher fat content. But the idea okay. is generally that alcohol uh, is absorbed more readily by women than men. So the concentration initially is typically higher. Okay. On average for women, um, if you drink a lot. Uh, you're desensitized to it, but you also have more of this enzyme that breaks it down. The other issue is acetaldehyde is in the endpoint oxidation state for uh, metabolism of, of ethanol. It gets oxidized again to acetaldehyde, which we know better as the active ingredient in vinegar. And so if you've had a long night of drinking, um, maybe <laughs> a few long nights, you know that you kind of, you, you know, when you sweat, you kind of sweat and smell like vinegar. And when you pee, it kind of smells like vinegar. And that is literally the breakdown products that are very volatile of, um, of alcohol. And so alcohol poisoning, one of the most important parts of alcohol poisoning is the formation of acetic acid. It's called gotcha. acetic acid because it's an acid. <laughs> right. uh, it's a carboxylic acid, again, functional groups in organic chemistry. Yep. But it's acidic. And the pKa of, of acetic acid, so that is its ability to protonate things and act like acid, is right. 4. But your blood pH is 7.4. Right. So as you start to make uh, acetic acid, you start to increase the pH of your blood. And when that gets to a very dangerous level is when you start to have the effects of alcohol poisoning, which are based on, not entirely, but partially and to a great extent, the fact that you're acidifying your blood based on the breakdown of ethanol in your body. Gotcha. And that's why, you know, you can drink for three or four or five hours before you get alcohol poisoning. You have right. to wait to accumulate this right. acid, acid in your blood. And yeah. as the pH of your blood gets off, all kinds of other biochemical processes don't right. work right. And eventually that coupled with the fact that you probably drank enough now that your motor control is all screwed up yeah. and you're not thinking <laughs> right, you end up with somebody who's kind of passed out on the ground and throwing up. And, and all of that is a, is a combination of the brain chemistry, but also, and very importantly, the breakdown metabolitic products of the alcohol that you're drinking. Right. Remember, you're drinking high concentrations of alcohol to get your effect. Yes. That means you're making high concentration of these byproducts, which are not easily dealt with by your body. Right. And right. so okay. I think a lot of alcohol poisoning and a lot of the really negative 
side effects of a hangover aren't just the withdrawal aspects of the brain chemistry, but also the acute toxic aspects of the breakdown products of alcohol. Right. Which are harder to deal with. Yes. And you you touched on something earlier that I want to bring up because I want to move on to myths of alcohol. Sure. I think mm-hmm. we have gone from stage one, drinking the alcohol, to stage two, you're blacked out or yeah, <laughs> you well, have the hangover. Um, so you kind of were talking about at the end of the day, no matter what you're drinking, whether it's a beer, wine, liquor, you're, this, this ethanol, this compound, this ethanol is what you're receiving these, these effects from. Mm-hmm. So... I, there's a, a thought that lingers around that dark versus light liquor will either make for a better or worse hangover when drinking. So is there any sort of science to that? Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent, um, what the difference is, is what is what else is in that drink, right? So let's just say they're both 80 proof and one's dark. It's dark for a reason. It's not alcohol. Right. Alcohol is not dark. It's right. colorless, right? There's other stuff in there. We call that congeners. And so there's, um, in the distillation process sometimes, other forms of alcohols that are in there in small quantities. Um, but there's also other flavors and other ingredients that are in these things that kind of accumulate and percolate in your system and make you not feel very well. Right? Okay. But at the end of the day, um, while it may make you more hungover, it's not an effect of the alcohol it's effect of what you're drinking It's the vehicle from which you're injecting alcohol in your body right (laughs) Right, right. you drink Coors Light all the time that used to be my my Sunday drink of choice (laughs) right you don't really get super super bad hangovers one because you can't drink a huge concentration if you're just drinking Coors Light and a unit time of alcohol so you can keep the concentration manageable but there's not a lot of other stuff in it either right and so all that carbonation and all the other stuff that's in the drink contributes right I mean, think about what's happening to your blood sugar when you drink, you know, 10 Jack and Cokes versus 10 Diet Jack and Cokes, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it's, uh, it's the difference between drinking a Monster Energy drink and drinking coffee. <laughs> right. There's other effects, <laughs> but they're not necessarily directly attributed to alcohol. So that may be true. I think another really important thing to point out is, and this is something I didn't really appreciate when I was in college, is that because this is a psychotropic effect of alcohol on your body, um, different people experience being drunk in different ways. Right. It's unlikely that you and I experience being drunk the same way. Right. And I think it's really easy to just assume that everybody, you know, experiences alcohol in the same way you do. And, and for some people, that's a healthy, pleasurable way. And for some people, it's not. Right. And, um, and that's based on individual biochemistry and, and how your brain responds to the brain chemistry. And so it is really true that, you know, some people can just <laughs> not have the same kind of experience with alcohol then you can. It's also true that other factors can affect how you feel in any given session of drinking. Right. Um, and so just like if you're doing magic mushrooms, right? I mean, the trip, <laughs> so to speak, is going to be based on a lot of other environmental factors. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so, you know, um, something to keep in mind when you're interacting with other drunk people. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that these people aren't of right mind. Um, they're not of right mind, right? right? You can't make healthy, appropriate decisions when you're drunk. You can't do it. Um, and that's something one needs to appreciate when dealing with a, yes. a, a drunk person, even if you yeah. are drunk, right? <laughs> even if you're that drunk person. That's correct. So, uh, you know, let's, <laughs> let's be forgiving to, uh, to, to our drunk friends, uh, given it's not a, a chronic problem. Yeah. <laughs> and this one, I'm sure you've heard before, and we all know it very well, liquor before beer, you're in the clear. And 
Well, the second part of that is beer before liquor, never been sicker. Sure. So <laughs> a lot of people will stick to that. Some people are like, I just do it because it rhymes. I, I mean, I, in my in my experience, that's uh, true. Um, but I think it can be rationalized based on concentration, right? So if you start out your night with a huge influx of alcohol while your system's still fresh, right? You don't get swamped down with alcohol at the end of the night before you go to bed, and so you know, I think the I think the genesis of that. Uh, you know, that saying comes from the fact of, you know, if you drink your, if you do your really hard drinking early and up front, you know, you have a really quick influx of alcohol and early stage of being drunk and then your body has time to adjust as you wind it down. Right. As opposed to the other way around where if you're drinking beer, you just can't drink the same concentration of alcohol per unit time, right? Right. So you're kind of slowly ramping up to the top of the mountain and then, you know, then you're finishing off the night with tons of liquor and that's just kind gotcha. of sitting there. And, you know, there's it's pretty well established that your body can only clear alcohol at a certain rate. Right. And it's pretty, you know, it's pretty constant. And so uh, <laughs> you get drunk when the, you know, rate at which you're drinking, incre- uh, you know, greatly outpaces the rate at which you can break it down. Right. right. And so I think uh, that myth isn't really a myth so much as a practical reality. If you drink a high concentration of alcohol early and then taper off over the end of the night, you're likely to have less of a problem than if you slowly ramp up to drunk and then dump on a, a bunch on top. Okay. I think that's okay. where that comes so from. So not necessarily something scientific like or biochemically is happening. It's just more so the thought that it's the concentration. So I guess to a degree it is, but it isn't like liquor is going to do something no, if you liquor, drink it after beer. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that there's some magic uh, mixture of liquor and beer that works, um, nor do I think it's uh, liquor uh, does something different to your system than beer. Right. Uh, those those aren't true. Okay. Um, it's just simply like uh, how much alcohol per unit volume are you getting in your system over a period of time? So the way best way to think about being drunk and the effects of drinking is the concentration over time. Right. Right. You want to keep that at a nice, healthy, constant state. Gotcha. <laughs> if it's a high concentration in a short period of time, you're going to be real drunk. You're going to be. <laughs> right. If it's a small real concentration real. And, and it fluctuates all over the place, yeah. it's going to be weird for you too. If it's for a long period of time, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard for your body to catch back up. Okay. And so responsible drinking and enjoying the better parts of alcohol without all the not so great parts of the hangover and all the side effects mm-hmm. is to really try to keep that, um, that concentration relatively consistent. Okay. And manageably low. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, manageably. I, I think you just kind of got to feel it out. The problem yeah, is, yeah. and I, I'm sure many people who uh, who listen to this who drink know this, is as you start to get drunker, your ability to make decisions goes downhill. And it seems like a better idea to keep drinking more faster. Right. And so it's sort of the self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. I Like, you know, you don't want to drink too much, but then you get drunk and you stop caring about the fact that you don't want to drink too much. And right. Exactly. Drunk. Exactly. And that's, uh, that's not alcohol's fault. <laughs> Although I so would simple. say that uh, is the brain chemistry, right? You lose right. your inhibitions, you you lose your ability to focus. You like the feeling, and you stop caring about what the side effects are going to be. And um, and that's a you know for different people, that's a harder thing to fight. I think that's why some people really struggle with controlling their behavior on alcohol, and other people have a little bit better luck with that. Right, right. And as far as hangovers go, mm-hmm. because that's something that some people experience, some people don't experience, which. I've never I met anybody who doesn't experience a hangover. My uh, my advice to that is drink more. <laughs> drink you'll get more. it. You'll you'll get it. <laughs> you'll get there. If you don't have a hangover, drink more. You'll you'll find it. Well, for those who do get hangover, which is the majority of people, is there something that 
could potentially be the cure because we see these things that are being made like Thrive, for example, is mm. something where they, they advertise, you know, take this before you go to bed and you're going to be you're going to be fine the next morning. In fact, you're going to wake up feeling amazing. Mm. Is there some is there some truth behind those things? Wow. So this gets in kind of a science realm. I don't like to say things like never. Like okay. That's not possible. Right. I don't want to say that is beyond the scope of human invention. I would say that I don't believe that thing exists. Okay. I'm not confident that um, it will anytime soon because there's no economic driving force to create it. Um, and the effects of alcohol are really complex. So to figure this out and make something or probably more accurately a number of different things that you would have to do to shut down all the different competing things that make you feel bad right. um, is hard to do. And at the end of the day, we have to keep in mind that how drunk you are and how hungover you are is largely a factor of how much um, – you know, it's largely self-induced, right? <laughs> I mean, after a period of time, you kind of know how much you can and can't drink without right. – kind of not feeling good the next day. Yeah. And it might be different for different people, but it's within your control. Right. Right. So there's not a strong driver for it, but there are things you can do to limit a hangover. But remember, again, it's like having a cold. When you have a cold, you're not treating the virus, you're treating the symptoms. Right. When you have a hangover, most of the things you take to deal with that hangover aren't about eliminating the toxins from your system. They're simply about treating the, the symptoms of the hangover you're having, and it will go away on its own. Right. And so you can kind of think of having a hangover like having a cold. You can't do a lot about the biochemistry, but you can do some stuff to make you feel less miserable. Right. The best thing you can do is not drink too much. Um, but there are these things like Thrive, and Thrive has, you got to look up that long list of ingredients. It's actually sort of brilliant. So first and foremost, I'd like to say that Thrive was invented by an undergraduate at Princeton who read the primary literature. Um, and was able to learn something from it. <laughs> and so uh, there's a lot of stuff in the primary science literature that um, is a great chance for economic development, and I would really encourage people to try to understand that. It's another good reason to take your hard science classes. Um, so he became aware of this, uh, this paper that came out of actually UCLA, so a little shout-out to my postdoc institution, um, about this molecule, dihydromyrosidin, uh, which is a small organic molecule um, that is a flavonoid, is, is the class of molecules that it is. And this study showed that this molecule in isolation by itself seemed to have some effect on the overcompensation of, um, or overactivation of the GABA receptor over a period of time. So what they found is that in mice, when they dosed with this compound, they started to see uh, less, uh, less evidence that they were having overstimulation or GABA receptor. And so oh, okay. thinking back to earlier in our conversation, remember as time goes on, your body starts to activate the GABA receptor, and that's what gives you the sedative effects, and that's what also gives you sort of the longer-term right. um, uh, depressive effects and booze blues and things like that. Right? Yeah. And those contribute to a hangover. Now, they're not what make you want to throw up. And, uh, you know, those are, those are really the byproducts of alcohol metabolism, but it does affect your feeling. Right. Um, and so this molecule, which is a a disclaimer, not validated by the FDA, nor will it probably ever be also not under patent. So you could get in and sell it yourself. As a matter of fact, you can buy it for pretty cheap directly. Um, so you don't really need to buy thrive. You just go to Sigma Aldrich and buy it yourself as its own molecule and stir it up. Um, sorry, sorry, Thrive guys. Uh, it, it's supposed to help with that. 
it has been looked at in a clinical setting, so whether or not that's real isn't sure. I mean, you'd have to do that with the placebo effect and a population of people right. and do all the statistics, and that's mm-hmm. never been done. So maybe it works, but there is some evidence, biochemical mm-hmm. evidence, that right. it does help with this aspect of a hangover. Okay. And so in that regard, that's probably legit. Now, keep in mind there's like eight or nine other active ingredients in there, many of which don't sound like actual drugs because they're not. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, their effectiveness is probably minimal at best right like drinking a glass of green tea isn't going to make you not be hungover <laughs> right eating greasy food kind of settles your stomach it doesn't yeah. make you not hungover right <laughs> it also kind of makes you um purge your system for lack of a better word of uh of all the byproducts from the night before and so i think right. that you know many of these hangover remedies are really about you know getting stuff out of your system and kind of making you uh, feel a little less sick. Right. Right. And different hangovers yeah. come in different forms, which is one of the things that are always confusing for alcohol. So if you drink a lot of hard liquor, for me anyway, I get like a hangover, like a major bad headache, right? But if I drink a lot of beer, I get usually kind of sick to my stomach if I have too much, right? Gotcha. Right. And so that's largely just the effects of the breakdown of those products and the other things that are in them, right? It's right. all okay. the byproducts of beer and fermented stuff and all the stuff that makes ipa taste great it's all kind of yeah. swirling around and bombing your stomach the next day and it just upsets your gotcha. stomach right? okay so really no no cure i mean don't don't be looking to rely on one thing just to to completely get rid of all these i'd spend my money elsewhere okay that's what i would do okay um, fair enough you know i mean part of being alive in the world is getting hangover sometimes right it's a badge <laughs> of honor so to speak a so. badge of honor um <laughs> You know, maybe the worse your hangover is, the more it's telling you like you shouldn't probably do that behavior again. Right. But, uh, but people tend to, and, and that's the thing, right? I mean, you wouldn't have college, you wouldn't have drinking and parties, or you mentioned a darty. I'm not even quite sure what that is. Oh, it's a day party. Yeah, it's where it's you, a day party. Yeah, you just party in the day. And... Well, now I feel like a loser. <laughs> I call it day drinking, but it's a darty. Okay. It's some people like to just shorten words unnecessarily. You know? no, that's so great. I'm going to use that like I'm going to use that like I invented it. Yeah. <laughs> All the old people will think I'm really cool. <laughs> So hip. So hip. He knows what a darty is. Yeah. I had, I really, I had no idea what that was. Oh, I was, no, I was trying funny. to guess for like the last half hour. Okay. It makes total sense now. It makes time, total yeah. sense. It's a darty. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's uh, per se a magic remedy for hangovers. I think there's different things that work better for different people. You know, staying hydrated is important. Keep in mind right. um, that while your body's processing all this alcohol, it's making you go to the bathroom a lot to pee this toxin out. And the side effect of that is you're peeing out a lot of water too. Mm-hmm. And so getting dehydrated contributes. Again, there's no magical pill you can take to rehydrate yourself. You're going to need to drink some water. Right. Um, which maybe isn't always so pleasant if your stomach's feeling upset. So there's kind of like a cascade this, of reinforcing yeah. things that make for a miserable miserable experience. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, at the end of the day, what you just got to do is learn your limits. Sometimes learning your limits means exceeding them. Um, <laughs> and, and try to exercise some moderation. And it's really easy to get carried away. You know, as you go on in life, you're not going to have... You know, have two kids and then tell me how many hours per month you have to spend drinking. It's not many, right? So you got to fit all your fun into a very small window. But, right. you know, at this stage in your life, right. you're largely responsible for yourself and maybe a small group of people around you. Mm-hmm. And so you can be selfish and spend a lot of time indulging in things. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if you try to act fairly responsibly, you'll probably have generally a better outcome than if you throw a caution in the wind and just drink everything in front of you. Right. 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 And right. and sometimes that's hard to control. I can yeah. appreciate. But uh, if you want to eliminate a hangover, drink less. Yeah. 
Yeah, be one of those people who, quote-unquote, doesn't get hangovers. Right. Because they don't drink too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, they know that limit. Uh, we, have a, we have a name for them. They're called responsible adults. <laughs> I also don't get that's hangovers awesome. very often. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not a hangover guy. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Well, Jim, thanks again for coming on so much. I mean, this was this has been awesome, super informative. Hopefully some people will take things away from this. And I think you plugged your class four or five times yeah yeah one more time yeah, you, yeah, wanna... you gotta do this well take chemistry 2210 whenever i teach it i don't teach it that often, so. Not that often. Yeah. but oh. when i do teach it it's fun i like having uh i like having undergraduates it's, yeah. it's very different from teaching grad students and when you get the right group of people in there it makes my job really fun so yeah right. um, i really appreciate being invited to be on this yeah. talk and yeah i apologize ahead of time if anybody actually checks my research and finds out that i, I uh, misspoke <laughs> and or didn't have the correct facts but you know, on these days of fake media, um, yeah, right. you know, I can just kind of say whatever I want anyway, right? Exactly. So it doesn't matter. Take it all with a grain of salt. Thing. Drink whatever you want and, and buy a bunch of uh, a bunch of Thrive and you'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. I hope you guys learned some things and had fun along the way. Remember to rate and review the podcast if you liked it to help me out. And keep an eye out for the next episode, which will be out on Monday night. You've been listening to the College Ology Podcast, where college meets science. Until next time. Bye.